Hello, how you doing? Are you, are you awake out there? It's time for the Talk That Talk show with me, Barry Holmes. And this is actually going to be the last episode on our summer schedule. Um, it's been an amazing summer. Um, we've done a great job with continuously trying to get the show better. And um, it's just been a good time. And just to have all my friends and family out there giving me positive feedback um, continuously sifting through to try and find out, you know, what's the, the hottest news and what is it that you want to hear. And, you know, we joke around and we say that, you know, we're progressively turning into more than just a sports show, but you know, it's, it's, it's our reality here. Um, you know, I have a service to deliver a, a, a show that is quality and that can give you as much feedback and as much analysis as possible with a little bit of my personality, right? Um, and I'm just really excited for this episode because not only is it our 25th episode, but we actually are going to have our third ever guest on the show today, right? Um, all of our college football nuts out there, you're going to be excited. I hope you are because we got an amazing, amazing setup for us today with our guest. He's very knowledgeable, um, super awesome dude. I've known him for the past couple years now, and he's become one of my best friends, so... Um, I hope you all are ready for that. You can always catch our full-time episodes here, full episodes at Buzzsprout, um, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we got it for you. Um, you can also check out our YouTube site, hashtag Talk That Talk Show. We got a bunch of different clips up there for you. Um, and I'm just ready. I hope you all are ready out there. Um, we're going to get to our show. Um, the first thing on the agenda that I saw was our boy DeMarcus Cousins, man. What is he doing, man? Um, the police just issued a warrant out for his arrest. Um, his girl, his ex-girlfriend now was seeking a restraining order. Um, it's, it's just a difficult situation where, you know, you have DeMarcus Cousins who's been constantly harassing her. Um, they have documentation of the things that he said through text messages. Um, he had an incident where he choked out his ex-girlfriend. And, you know, we've seen that a lot of these, you know, professional sports leagues with NFL, you know, NHL, they're, they're really cracking down on the domestic violence. And, you know, you have DeMarcus Cousin who was coming into a situation where he was already taking less money to go to the Lakers to get his second, third chance back now. And when you have this dark cloud over your head now um, in an era where we're just super cracking down on the domestic violence and, you know, you have all these campaigns to, you know, bring awareness to how we have to, you know, value our females out there. And I just think this is going to be very difficult for DeMarcus Cousins to come back from. Um, not only do you have to worry about, you know, coming back from that injury, um, now you have to worry about the, the public media, right? We saw what the Ravens did um, with getting rid of Ray Rice and how he was never able to get back into the league. Sometimes the dark clouds that follow you are just so hard to, to shake. So, you know, I'm very disappointed in DeMarcus Cousins because, you know, a lot of people were looking forward to him coming back very strong. And I know that his, you know, career, I mean, not his career is done, but his, his season was done for the year. And now you have to think, is his career done with this? Um, it's only a third degree felon. Um, it's not. It's only a third degree charge. But even just saying that only a third degree charge is just it's just very difficult to, to swallow. It's very difficult to take in. So 
you know, if I'm DeMarcus Cousins, you just got to make better decisions and keep, you know, the right people around you. If someone is so, you know, bad to you that you feel like you have to, you know, choke them or harass them, just walk away, man. Just like Farside said, there's other fish in the sea, you know. Um, and then the next thing that we have up here, which shocked a lot of people, was the fact that Andrew Luck retired. It, it's, oh, man. It's one of those things where you're, you're happy for a guy in Andrew Luck because he just went through so much pain and just such a tumultuous uh, career as far as coming back from injuries and the repeated process. And I totally get what he's saying where he's mentally and physically exhausted, right? Um, Andrew Luck gave us a lot of great moments in the NFL. Um, I mean, one of the biggest moments I can remember, me and my father were sitting right in this living room laughing and joking, giggling, talking about how we were going to go see the Chiefs play the Patriots in the next round. But that boy Andrew Luck showed up, and he just completely turned everything 360 and beat us in that playoff game. This was awful, awful, awful. And, you know, for Indianapolis fans, that was some of the best memories. I mean, you know, to have a comeback like that and then to put up the numbers that Andrew Luck did and to bring that franchise out of the Peyton Manning era. Um, you know, Andrew Luck gave a lot to the NFL, but the tough thing about, you know, him retiring that we can't overlook is the timing of it, right? This man quit in the middle of training camp, in the middle of training camp. And, you know, I, I know that you have to think about yourself as far as, you know, retiring and how your mental is moving into the next stage of whatever it is in your life. But think about those guys that are in there trying to, to band around you. You know, they built that entire team in the offseason expecting that Andrew Luck would be here. A lot of people had that team as one of the top contenders in the AFC. And now you got Jacoby Brissett. I mean, think about T.Y. Hilton who's thinking, oh, I'm about to eat. And now you got Jacoby Brissett throwing you the ball, man. Uh, I feel bad. I feel bad for a lot of these Colts players out there that, you know, were looking to to luck to, to, to take them to the next level because they have the tools. All the tools are there for the Colts to succeed. But, you know, Andrew Luck just decided that his personal endeavors are more important. And that's that's true, man, even with us as people. If you feel like you're not happy anymore, you're in a situation where, you know, you, you don't even want to wake up to be at that place to work. Um, you got to find something different. So, you know, I wish Andrew Luck all the best, but he's definitely going to have a lot of those naysayers that are going to talk about the timing of this retirement. Um, you know, who really knows when is the right time, right? Only Andrew Luck knows that. But from, you know, these outlier, you know, from the people looking from the outside, um, you just can't help but question the timing of his retirement. But, um, you know, we're, we're going to have to see how the Colts, you know, handle this. Um, I just don't know if I'm fully confident in Jacoby Brissett taking them to the playoffs. Um, I'm just thankful that we did not draft, <laughs> you know, until after Andrew Luck announced that. Um, you know, we have the Talk That Talk uh, Fantasy Challenge, and we have about 16 teams in that league. And it's one of the deepest leagues that I've been in ever. And you know, I'm just really excited about this NFL season. Um, you, you just really don't have a clear-cut favorite. Um, a lot of people say the Chiefs are going to come back strong with Pat Mahomes. 
Um, a lot of people are saying that the Patriots could come back and do some things. Uh, people are saying if they can get uh, Zeke resigned, Cowboys will do good in the NFC East. So, you know, you just have so many different storylines. And, you know, that's what's just the most exciting about each year um, in football is just getting right for your fantasy and then just seeing how the season unfolds, man, because, you know, everything can, can change in the drop of a hat. Um, and then we had another good question here. And, you know, we have our fan segment where, you know, fans can message me and ask me any type of questions that they want to hear. And I had a really uh, a great one from Peter Dunn. Shout out to you, brother. Um, he asked me, which first-year coach in his new team will have success this year in the NBA? And, you know, before we dive into that question, uh, it's really a great one. Uh, we got to find out what are those, you know, coaches that are on new teams this year. And starting off, we have John Beeline, who's going to be coaching for the Cavs this year. Um, he's never coached in the NBA before. But one thing that about, you know, coaching is it's so hard to win, man. You've seen a lot of coaches that come through and out the carousel in the NBA. And you have John Beeline, who has won 20 wins at four levels in the collegiate level, right? So at D1, D2, D3, JUCO, he's had 20 wins, right? He's got 829 wins total in the NCAA. And I don't care whether you're playing JUCO, whether you're playing Middlesex County College, or you're playing at Louisville, winning is hard to do. And if you can do that at multiple levels, why can't he do it in the NBA, right? So, you know, I think that John Beeline is going to be a, a, a sleeper as far as, you know, what they can do with the Cavs. I think his biggest issue is, you know, you got to have some talent around there. Um, you know, Colin Sexton, he's just not going to cut it for you if you try to make the playoffs in the East. So um, if, if he can come into this situation and try and build the talent that he has and hopefully land some free agents with, you know, the style of play that he likes to play, then we'll see what the Cavs are able to do. You have another guy in Taylor Jenkins who's going to be coaching the Milwaukee, I mean the uh, Memphis Grizz Grizzlies, and he was the Milwaukee Bucks assistant coach last year, and you saw the success that they had. Um, I mean, if they could have beat the Toronto Raptors, you were talking about you know NBA Finals team there, but they didn't. Um, but if you look at what Taylor Jenkins has already done since coming to Memphis, he's taken the young talent there, and they won the Summer League, right? So I think it's very encouraging for a first-year coach who's only had a assistant experience to now go out there and win the Summer League. Um, I'm not saying that the Grizzlies are that great of a team because obviously they lost Mike Conley, who was their franchise player for so many years. But we're just going to have to see how Taylor Jenkins uh, adjusts to the regular season game because what he's shown me is that in a Summer League like this, He's able to develop talent quickly. He's shown that he can create that sustainable system and create that culture that they were lacking. I mean, how long has it been since Memphis has been the grindhouse, right? It's been a place where you can walk in and get wins. The Knicks have even won in, in Memphis. So uh, maybe he can bring back some home court advantage with his coaching style. And then we have another guy, Monty Williams, who isn't a first-year coach. He coached in New Orleans from 2010 to 2015. But he's in a new scenario here, and I think this is going to be the most difficult um, scenario because you have a situation where you actually have some sort of talent. We got DeAndre Ayton. You have um, all those players in 
the Suns, who are, I believe, under 30. I mean, I think they only have one or two guys that are under 30. And then it's just one of those situations where when you're out west, it's so difficult to win. It's so difficult to win. And youth is good, but youth also takes time for success. And I feel like the Suns have just had so much, you know, losing basketball that it's becoming the trend where we expect them to lose 50 games a year. And to try and, you know, flip that narrative is going to be something that's very difficult for Monty Williams. I mean, you got Booker who's in, uh, you know, pickup games complaining about the double team. And he's the person that is the highest double teamed in the league. So, you know, double teams show that you have a lack of talent around you. And I just think that that's difficult to coach around. So, you know, Monty Williams is going to have some some difficult times ahead of him and some growing pains in Phoenix. But, um, I mean, he did that in New Orleans, so he, he knows what that looks like as far as trying to rebuild that franchise. So maybe he's the right guy for the job. We'll see. And then finally we have Luke Walton, who's going to the Kings. He just recently got over his sexual allegation charges. So, you know, he's coming into there hopefully without the black cloud. He was pretty much run out of L.A. as far as with the Lakers. But we have a guy in Luke Walton that is respected in the NBA. This is a respected guy in the NBA. So, you know, I can't count my chips out against him. I feel like out of anybody, he has the best scenario out there with the Kings who were, you know, on the rise and kind of took steps towards becoming a playoff team. But, um, you know, we just going to have to see Luke Walton hopefully – establish a winning culture there in Sacramento. Um, I felt like in L.A., he had a hard time getting that buy-in and sustaining that buy-in. But I think here in the Kings, who, who are hungry to win, you have De'Aaron Fox, who really wants to win. Um, he, he played in the uh, Team USA ball for a little bit. But, you know, you have guys in Sacramento that want to win. And you have a guy, Luke Walton, who wants to win. So, you know, out of anybody there, I think that Luke Walton and John Beeline are going to have the best success as the, in their first year new team. So um, thank you for that question, Pete. It's always good to really critically think because a lot of times we just want to go off bias and go off what we think is the best. But, you know, when you look at certain things critically, it's, fine, it's fun to see what you come out with, right? And then finally, for our fan portion... Um, we have a question from Arguito Torres, so thank you for this one. But I didn't even want to answer it because it makes me sad. Uh, you know, my guest on the show, who I'm going to introduce shortly, he he had to laugh himself. He went to their game over the weekend, and I felt bad because he, he saw him lose, man. You know what we're talking about. The question is, what happened to the Mets' momentum? Oh, man, this hurts, man. Uh, I remember, like I said, about two weeks ago, we were in City Field with my father, and we were just so hyped because they had just swept. I think they had swept Miami, and then they went and you know swept the next team. But it's just a situation where I feel like the Mets are pressing a little bit, right? Um, you have a five-game losing streak. They're 67-65, and 65, and now they've dropped to four games out of the wild card. I mean, you can't beat the Braves. You know, they got swept by the Braves two times in a row, and that's your division rival. And, you know, that's pretty much a good litmus test, right? If you can't beat Atlanta, who's one of the best teams in the NL, 
Um, you're going to have a hard time beating the Dodgers. You're going to have a hard time beating the Cardinals at home who is playing good baseball. I mean, you, you might even have a hard time beating the Brewers, right? And they're contending. Billy's have been playing much better baseball. So all the players and all the teams of, of the teams that are competing against the Mets for that wild card spot are starting to turn it on. And then at this time, this is supposed to be the time where the Mets are supposed to gear up and make that push, right? Tell people we're ready. You know, show them that we can lock people down in those later innings. But that hasn't happened. Um, I think that, you know, the starting pitching has definitely failed us in these last couple starts. I mean, you have Mats, Syndergaard, Marcus Stroman, who've literally gotten pummeled in these last couple starts. And when you have your starting pitchers who are supposed to be the best, right? We were just talking about how they were one of the best starting fives in the league comparing with, you know, Houston. But, you know, right now they're not showing that. Um, when you're going only four or five innings and giving up five, six runs before you even get to the third inning, you know, that's a tough hole to climb out of. And I know the Mets showed that earlier on. But when you continuously are fighting back and continuously trying to come back, you know, that that's that, that comes mentally and physically exhausting, right? Uh, Pete Alonzo, I feel bad for him because he set the rookie record, right? He's hit 42 home runs for the Mets. And yet, you know, the Mets just aren't doing what they're supposed to do to close out games. So um, the injuries have definitely hurt us as well. I mean, you got Gazelman, who was pitching really well in the bullpen, and now he's out for the year. You had Cano, who was hitting well, but then he got injured. You got Dominic Smith, who's still, uh, uh, is he still on the scooter? I don't know, because, um, you know, his knee was hurting. You got Brandon Nimmo, who was killing it for us as a leadoff hitter at the beginning of the year, who still hasn't come back. And then you got Jed Lowry, who hasn't even played a game yet. Thanks for that, Brody, right? So... Injuries have hurt us, and I think that when you start to have people that aren't used to playing as much time as they have been for the Mets, you know, that that's what creates the problems. That's where you have these losing droughts. So, um, you know, I know the Mets are going to have a tough road ahead of them in terms of trying to get that wild card spot, especially now that they're four games out. But it, it all starts and ends with the starting pitching, right? So, you know, we need our starters to get more quality innings. And, and not just throw strikes, but work the strike zone, right? Change the levels on these hitters. You got, you know, our pitchers who are so comfortable with their top pitch, but then, you know, that allows for people to tee off on you and get timing right. So um, hopefully the Mets can start to do better with their pitch location, um, switching up what they're throwing, because without the starting pitching, you're looking at a sub-500 team, even with the great hitting that we've had. So um, I hope that the Mets can, you know, pick up some better momentum but we're running out of time we're running out of time it's Get almost right, yeah it's almost september talk that talk. and now now that we've completed our fan segment uh portion of the show we get to get into the best part of the show right everybody's constantly asking me when are we gonna have guests on the show who are you gonna have on the show next right and now it's time to talk who is going to be the guest on the show we have a guy who's a lifelong Eagles fan. Boo. He's a Ducks fan, an Oregon Ducks fan. Um, his quote is, Saturdays and Sundays are dedicated to all things football. So we got an absolute football nut on this show. Um, we got a craft beer enthusiast. So all of, you know how we always have our ceremonial beer at the end of the show. We have a fellow craft beer connoisseur on the show. And sadly, have to say it, 
in our work league. He's the defending fantasy football league champion as the sixth seed. He, he had to be put this in quotes as the sixth seed. But I, I really want to give it up to our, our third guest on the show here. Super excited to have this guy. He's one of my best friends here. Everybody, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Louis Guerra. <laughs> oh, man. What's up, everybody? You know I have to bring my, my Oregon Duck stuff with me, too. So <laughs> excited to be here. Look at this guy. Man. He looks like he's uh, sponsored by Nike Tech, man. <laughs> But it's really ha I'm really happy to have you on the show here, Lou. Um, how you feeling so far, man? Awesome, man. You know, I've been a, a loyal listener to the show. Um, I feel like it's been a long time coming. We talked about it. You know, when the when the equipment went on sale, I was like, man, you got to get it. You got to get it. So yep. just seeing how far, you know, you've come with the show is pretty awesome. So, yeah, definitely happy to be here. Uh, thank you, Lou. And, you know, when I always talk about, you know, people that constantly support me with this show... Um, I just really want to thank you, honestly, because every single day you come to me talking to me about, you know, the things that I've talked about on my show. You know, you're constantly pushing me to become a better podcaster. And, you know, just throughout everything here, man, um, you know, I always just enjoy my time with you, man. And, you know, it was a pleasure for me to have you on the show here. So definitely want to thank you for coming on here, man. 100%. Let's get to it. Oh, for sure. So real quick. You know, we're both beer connoisseurs here. You know, I love my beer. You know, you love your beer. You oh, actually course. took a trip out uh, out west, right? Recently? Yeah, I went out to Portland. Actually, this is where I got this uh, this very nice uh, Oregon Ducks uh, sweater. But yeah, man, Portland is, is the place to go if you like craft beer. Mm. Now, you know, knowing that we both like our craft beer, um, what is what would you say is your top three beers, you know, on your list? You know, we don't like those domestics out there. If you're a domestic no. beer guy... <laughs> No, no, thank you. So what's your top three beers that you got right now? Yeah, so, you know, if I ever invite people over to my house, definitely don't bring me no Corona, no Heineken, <laughs> nothing like that. But no uh, none of that. <laughs> but definitely uh, top three. Um, number one has to be this beer I had out in Portland. Um, it's called Flower in the Kettle. Mm, Flower in the Kettle. One of the best beers I ever had. Um, I think the brewery is called Wayfair, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Or Wayfinder. So uh, Flower in the Kettle by Wayfinder, uh, Wayfinder. Flying Dogfish Head, uh, okay. Dragons and Yum Yums. Ooh, Dad, I think we had that in Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a great beer. Um, every, anytime I go to Wegmans or, or one of the bigger, you know, liquor warehouses, I always make sure that they, to do my, my rounds to make sure they have it. And then finally, this might not be as popular. Um, it's a seasonal. It's a shandy, actually. It's called a Jacko Traveler. Okay. Um, it's a, a, like a pumpkin spice kind of beer. I literally can't wait till October. <laughs> September, October comes around because, you know, I, I always got to go to Blue Warehouse. Mm. They do a, a nice setup. They put, like, cinnamon on the rim, mm. and they pour the beer. So that's, I mean, I think it's September now. I might, I might have to uh, go out to Blue Warehouse sooner to see if they got it. Ooh, I, and I know you you know one of my favorite beers. Um, I definitely like the White Afro. Um, it's yeah, got, Empire. I think, a lavender. Oh, yeah. it's one of my favorite. But I still haven't been able to get it. Um, and then I definitely 
Um, one of my favorite beers recently has been Beera. I think they got like the crazy monkey head on it. Yeah, um, Beera makes some some very good beer. Definitely support local breweries too. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of local breweries in, in Jersey, so I always try to do my due diligence and, and go around and find you know local spots and and you know just try out whatever it is that they have on tap. Yeah, man, please support your local breweries. We got one right down the street, so maybe I have to take you there one yeah, day. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Might catch a game there too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but. Yeah, Cypress Brewery, so shout out to them. Um, but real quick, you know, I really want to dive into the college football aspect. Um, you know, this is one of my favorite times of the year. You know, I got my Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech I got to shout out there the you Hokies. Go. <laughs> you know, you got your Oregon Ducks. But, you know, I've really much been known, you know, through all my friends as someone that loves college football, even more so than the NFL. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here because you kind of share that similar interest. So, you know, for me, why is it that you think that you love football, college football so much? Well, you know, there, there's a lot of controversy. You know, they say, you know, we're paying the players and things like that. But if it's one thing that that makes me love college football so much is just the passion mm. and just, you know, that hunger. You see the, the, the players out there, they're, they're, you know, they're playing for something. They're playing for that chance, and they just they want to play on Sundays, right? You know, playing on Saturdays is cool. You know, the, the, the stadiums and just the mm. history behind some of these programs is amazing, but, you know, the big goal is to get, you know, to that Sunday, Sunday night football. Mm. But, you know, definitely just, you know, the passion the players play with as well as the traditions that a lot of schools have. You know, at Clemson has the rock, and, and mm. when they're coming down, you know, everybody's touching the rock, stuff like that. You know, Oregon, I feel like, has the best mascot in, uh, in college football. <laughs> Tech has the Sandman, into the Sandman. Into the Sandman. So, you know, Ooh. it's just so many different traditions that every time you watch a different, you know, college football team, you're, you're getting a new, a new feel, a, a new, you know, experience. And, you know, with the NFL is not really uh, – I don't, I don't get that from NFL. I think it's just kind of almost copy-paste. Mm-hmm. You know, college football, you know, even watching from the Pac-12 to the ACC to the Big Ten, so many different styles of football, and it just keeps you engaged all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, just from your division, you got the Pac-12. We got a lot of these teams that are air raid offenses. And then you have the Big, Big Ten. We have a lot of these big teams where they're running those pro-style offenses. So, you know, it's definitely nice to see the, the different styles of play within the, you know, the country, the different styles within the conferences. And then you talk about tradition, right? Um, I can remember, especially when I went to Virginia Tech, shout out to Mark. I got to come out there one more time soon, man. But, um... That was one of the best experiences of my life, man, to go out there. uh, We got to see Virginia Tech versus Boston College. And, you know, just to be a part of that atmosphere. When when they played Enter Sandman, I had never known, you know, what that tradition was. But, you know, to see that stadium rocking and to feel the – Get those chills. Chills, man. I mean, I cover NFL games at, you know, MetLife every single week, right? And I still don't get that same feeling from when I was at, you know – Lane Stadium back in uh, Virginia Tech. So, you know, it's definitely one of those things where you have a tradition and you have um, the exciting styles of play that are different. And, you know, it really makes for an awesome college football season that we're going to look forward to. Oh, 100%. I can't. I mean, they, we got the game on in the background yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, we got the Cincinnati-UCLA game on right now. So if you're, you're watching, tune in to ESPN because there's some college football on right now. But... You know, I know why I like Virginia Tech. You know, top of the stairs, one of the best bars I'd ever been <laughs> to. It was awesome. But, um, you know, what made you an Oregon fan? Like, why? What was like, I like Oregon. So it's 
way before the uniforms, right? You mm-hmm. know, Oregon uniforms didn't start taking off until, you know, like the last, what, 10 years, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I liked Oregon back when they had, you know, like that steel cage pattern on the on the shoulder, on the yeah. shoulders and stuff. But um, one guy, um, you know, DeAnthony Thomas, you know, Michael James, mm-hmm. you know, those guys. And it's just seeing how fast mm-hmm. they, they just ran their offense. And it was just, you know, it was like almost like a blur. You blinked and you missed the touchdown. Oh, and, yeah. and, you know, just Jeremiah Masoli, you know, uh, Vernon Adams and, and, you know, the Marcus Mariota, probably one of the greatest players to ever come through Facts. Uh, Oregon. And it's just, it was a completely different style of football. Mm-hmm. And, again, I wasn't seeing that in the NFL, you know, even with the Eagles. I, I love the Eagles, but I don't even remember what was the first game that I ever caught of Oregon football. But as soon as I saw it, I just knew it, it was completely different. Uh, Dennis Dixon is actually the, the quarterback that, that was playing for Oregon back when I, I really got into them. So, you know, it's just that, that lineage, right? A lot of history in that program, a lot of great, great players that have, have come through there. Doesn't always translate to the NFL. We haven't had great NFL success uh, in our <laughs> skill positions. You hear that? <laughs> but um, you know, I, I can't lie, right? I won't be. I won't be biased. But just definitely, just seeing the the different style of football that they were playing. I know, you know, Chip Kelly. Even though I'm not a huge fan of him, you know, introduced that. You know that that just get it out quick. Get right? it out quick, right? Mm-hmm. Running plays and like Seven seconds. Just wearing defenses out and it was just so different and being a, a young kid you like seeing 50 60 points on, on the board right mm-hmm. you don't you don't really care for for uh defense so definitely just seeing you know all those points on the boards and and, and these these quarterbacks that were scrambling and running around it was it was just awesome i, I was hooked from the first day and i remember i, I especially remember dennis dixon um one of the guys that i mean oregon was one of those first starting teams that started to really make the RPO the base of their offense, man. And now you look at the effect and you have NFL teams that are running. Yeah, running I mean, the RPO. We were playing Madden. They have it in the game now mm-hmm. with the RPO. So, you know, Oregon has set up a lot of different things as far as offense-wise because, you know, in the Pac-12, it's all about the offense, man. And, you know, they perennially have shown that they are one of the best offenses in the country, man. Yeah, and, they, you know, I feel that they really made it a staple you know, rushing, the rushing offense is one of the keys to success, right? That's how you kind of control the tempo of the game. You know, you keep the sticks moving. If you can't run the football, whether it be in college or NFL, you know, it's, it's going to be very hard to, to get success and keep the, the chains moving. Facts. And I think that this next question is um, something that a lot of people from New Jersey can, I think, relate to for sure. Um, I know me. I'm from Jersey. I'm from Edison right here. And, you know, we got Rutgers is right down the street, right? But, you know, even though the Rutgers is only five, ten minutes away, I'm sorry, Amy. You know, <laughs> I know you're a huge Rutgers fan, but nobody cares about Rutgers. Nobody. And it, it sucks because they're right down the road and we don't watch them, right? So I guess my question to you is me being a Virginia Tech fan. I'm not from Virginia. Mm-hmm. You're an Oregon fan who's not from Oregon. Why is it that we don't have people that really support Rutgers? Why is that? Um, I definitely feel that Rutgers hasn't done a good job with recruiting inside of the state Mm. of New Jersey. There's a lot of talent in New Jersey, and a lot of these kids decide to go to Penn State, the Michigans, the Ohio States of the world, even, you know, a couple uh, guys that go up to Syracuse. And, you know, there's been a lot of turnover in terms of staff and, you know, I don't think that they're making a good connection with these programs. You know, the Paramus Catholics, the Hudson Catholics, the Don Boscos. 
they're getting exposure from cross-country programs and, and it's just the allure of that, right? It just looks so much more appealing for me to say I'm going to Ohio State as opposed to saying I'm going to go 15 minutes down the road and go play at Rutgers. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely wouldn't say it's facilities, right? You know, Rutgers is, is one of the, you know, perennial schools in the country, right? One of the, probably the best schools in the state of New Jersey. But, you know, when it comes to football, there's just so many other schools that, that got them beat. Yeah. You know, there's so many other schools that, that have that, that winning tradition, right? The Ohio States of the world, Ohio State college football playoffs year after year, you know, uh, Michigan, which is knocking at the door. And there's just so many other options. Mm-hmm. Um, and until the coaches from Rutgers make it a, a point, that they're going to recruit their kids the hardest. I don't think we're ever going to see that change when it comes to uh, Rutgers football. Mm-hmm. And I and I think you hit the the nail right on the head with uh, Rutgers because everything starts with recruiting. And you're 100 percent right as far as we have the best talent in the country as far as football goes. It doesn't matter whether it's baseball, basketball, football. New Jersey has the best athletes. No hands down, hands questions, right? So when you have players that are in New Jersey that don't want to stay here, it makes it so harder for us other New Jerseyans to then root for you because all of our players on these Rutgers teams aren't even, you know, the best players from Jersey. And then you have, you know, Rutgers who hasn't been able to have success in, in the Big Ten since they made the jump from the Big East. Some people may say that they made the jump too early. They, you know, it's all monetary, right? But, you know, when you want to have fans, you've got to win games. And, you know, ever since I can remember, you know, the Rutgers just has not won games. I mean, I can really pick out maybe one or two seasons where they did have good seasons with uh, Ray Rice and, you know, when they were knocking out teams. But as far as sustaining that, we haven't seen that. And I feel like it's very hard for me to then, you know, go around you or to try and, uh, become a fan of yours when you're not recruiting well. You're not doing your best job to put the best product out there. And then as far as your fan experience, half the games are over by halftime, right? So I'm not going to waste my time and try and go out there and park when you know how terrible parking is out there to then go watch an awful game, right? So if you want me to be a fan of you, Rutgers, y'all got to do a better job recruiting. Please do a better job. And, and definitely, you know, it, I feel like it only takes one athlete to turn mm-hmm. a program around. You know, you, you keep one of these kids, let's say like a Jabril Peppers, right, which is from New Jersey, mm-hmm. ended up going to Michigan, and he was like a Heisman candidate. Imagine having that buzz in Rutgers. And think about it. When they were trying to recruit for him, it was a big nighttime mm-hmm. game. If you remember, it was Michigan versus Rutgers. And it was in Rutgers, and this yeah. is the biggest opportunity for Rutgers to recruit for their program and you have 100 recruits from Michigan that were sent to play to watch that game. So you have more people or more recruits for the opposite team, and, and I believe they got smacked by 50 points that game. And this is all the things that we talk about as far as recruiting. You cannot have an opposing team come in and take over your game for a recruitment strategy. And that just sets the tone for you know Rutgers in total, man. Yeah, and I went to a game a few years ago played Ohio State same thing it was halftime they were down 30 plus points and the stadium just really just emptied out and it's just you know if again if you want kids to come here and really dedicate you know three four years of of their prime to play there 
you know, the fans starts with the fans too. The fans got to do their job and, and really show up and, and and make that fan experience and that that athlete experience one that you know they can't forget. You don't you want people to come to to what is it um, High Point Stadium yeah, high and point. say it's hard to play here, right? You, you can't even hear the, the 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 quarterback calling the audibles. But you know, if you're emptying out by halftime, that's it's like a regular practice scrimmage for for the uh, opposing team. Facts. Maybe one of these days I'll go to a Rutgers game. Maybe. But <laughs> I just don't want it to be done by halftime. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. So maybe we'll challenge ourselves to check a game. Uh, definitely. Um, but I know you're a big Oregon fan, so, you know, we definitely got to talk some Ducks football. And, you know, my biggest question to you is, we kind of talked about it a little bit off air, but I want to know what is what team is, you know, you think is the biggest threat to Oregon in the Pac-12? So it's interesting because a lot of people um, – so on the East Coast, not a lot of people are, are, are big on Pac-12 football only because, we, you know, they call it the Pac-12 after dark. Yeah. A lot of games are, yeah. are airing, you know, 10, 11 p.m., but, you know, a lot of people will go ahead and say Washington, right, because Washington has been in the spotlight the past couple of years. But um, if I'm not mistaken, Washington lost about like seven, eight starters yeah. on their defense, if not more than that. Um, lost their quarterback, Jake uh, Jake Browning, and uh, uh, Jacob Eason is coming in. He's a transfer from uh, Georgia. From, from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a lot of turnover, and I personally can't see Washington just flipping the switch that quick, yeah. especially uh, replacing so many people on defense. And that was their that staple. was that was their staple is uh, defense. So I definitely don't want to say it's Washington. Um, we are going up to Seattle this year to play them, so that's going to be a, a tough task. But, you know, I go ahead and flip it over to the Pac-12 South, mm. and there's a couple teams down there that I think, you know, are, are bubbling and on the cusp. Um, Pac-12 South is definitely wide open, but two teams I like. I know you said one, but I like two teams a lot out of uh, Pac-12 South. There's uh, Utah and uh, Arizona State. Mm, you um, took mine. <laughs> yeah, Arizona State, you know, with, with Herm Edwards down there, I think he did what a lot of people weren't expecting uh, from Arizona State last year. I think they won like seven seven or eight games, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, he took that real NFL approach to Arizona State and and just is really changing the culture of the program, which I think is a huge thing, especially to create a winning program. So I definitely like Arizona State and uh, Utah. Utah, I mean, mm-hmm. they, they just – they're sneaky. They're a sneaky good team. Mm-hmm. Every year they're, they're sneaking out eight, nine wins. Mm-hmm. They're always, you know, playing in, in that Pac-12 championship. They, they just find a way, right? Last mm-hmm. year they lost to – to Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. So, you know, I think that they'll be there again. Yeah. They, 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 Like I said, they always find a way. Their coach, smart guy, mm-hmm. right? He's been around a lot of football. So, yeah, I, I would definitely look out for, for, for those two teams. Yeah, I was definitely going to say, you know, for sure, Arizona State, because we talked about it on a previous shows about, you know, the importance of Herm Edwards and how much of a winner he's proven that he is. So, you know, I think that he can definitely do great things. I also think that they have an assistant, you know, who who used to coach at uh, the Cincinnati Bengals with Marvin Lewis, who's over there as well, yeah. too. So a, a very professional and very, you know, seasoned staff. Uh, Herm Edwards has been putting together at ASU. Yeah, I, I'm, I definitely uh, would have to put my basket as far as that is going to Arizona State to maybe, you know, potentially given Oregon a little bit of a fight. Um, I wasn't impressed with what I saw from Arizona. I got a chance to check out that Arizona-Hawaii game, and I just wasn't impressed. Um, you know, I think that the Pac-12 is definitely a, an impressive conference, but sometimes it can be thought of as, as top-heavy, you know? Yeah. Um, you have Oregon, you know, Oregon State, who never really is 
in it at all. I mean, you no, have Washington not even State, close. <laughs> who sometimes, you know, they're off and on. So um, I think that, you know, with that balance or that imbalance in that uh, conference is kind of what takes away from the allure, the mystique, or why people don't really respect the Pac-12. But, you know, I think it's definitely a conference that people definitely need to respect because, you know, the offensive production that they have there is unmatched for yeah, sure. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at, you know, what Mike Leach does up at Washington State, well, Gardner Minshew, I think that's the quarterback they had last year. Yeah. Um, they were putting up like 50 points a game. And, uh, uh, you know, the air raid offense, kind of how, how you referenced before, and it's just how can you not want to watch, yeah. you know, 50 points a game, you know, 600 yards of offense. Or some people, oh, that's bad football. But it's just, you know, even when you're going up against some of the best defenses, but you have a team that's just spreading you out so wide and then they're, you know, blowing the top off and, and just and just burning you over the top with, you know, these receivers. It's just there's not much you can do about it, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's – I think that there's a lot that goes into Pac-12 football. You know, definitely I think the time difference is one of the, the biggest barriers. Huge difference. Um, I know ne uh, next year they're, they're actually considering 9 a.m. kickoff times. Um, in the in the West Coast, which will transfer over here to be 12 uh, p.m., mm -hmm. so like a prime uh, prime day like kickoff. So that's something that they're actually trying to do to get that that branding out and and have people watch more football. So definitely look out for those 9 a.m. kickoffs. Mm -hmm. Well, which will be 12 p.m. kickoffs over here. So you know, Pac-12 is trying to make their their case to be on, on the national spotlight more and more. And I definitely would wake up at 9 a.m. to see that. I mean, football is football, man, and especially when you're scoring at a high rate that they are, man, I would definitely watch. But, you know, that all of that regular season and all the tough games, you know what it all amounts to, right? That uh, college football College football playoff, playoffs. Right? And, you know, in our recent histories or since, you know, the since the playoff has even started, you know, we, we haven't had a Pac-12 team that has won it all, right? And, you know, it kind of makes me wonder, and I, I really want to hear what you think about this is, you know, why is it that Pac-12 teams don't have success in the college football playoff? So one thing off the bat, the same thing that's so appealing about Pac-12 is what turns out to be their downfall, right? Just the the blur speed, the fast speed offenses, and, and just trying to score points. And then when you go up against a, a more physical team, you know, when you're not getting past the line of scrimmage, when you're just trying to run play after play and you're not moving the sticks, what happens? You know, time of possession. Mm -hmm. It ends up that your defense now is on the field for, you know, three quarters of the game and, and you know, your offense is just trying to get out there and is a three and out. So I think that, you know, one of the greatest strengths of a lot of teams in the Pac-12 is also one of their biggest downfalls. Mm. Um, so I think you have to have a great balance of both, right? That's why you see a team like Clemson, you know, can, can run smash-mouth football but can also score points in a hurry. Oh, and they can turn you over for sure. I mean, how many times have we watched Virginia Tech games where they can't even get out the backfield, right? Yeah. So, so you know, like a team like Clemson is, is, is very good at that. Ohio State historically is, is very good mm -hmm. on defense. They produce some of the, the, you know, the best defenders in the NFL. Um, you know, shout-out to my guy Malcolm Jenkins, safety, you know, playing for the Eagles. And, you know. Alabama. Huge Al Alabama every, every year, but – then I even go to say what was Alabama's biggest weakness last season in the college football playoff against Clemson. Mm -hmm. It couldn't score points. No, 
No. Not at the fast rate that not, they were. No? Exactly. Not at the fast rate that Clemson did. So I think, you know, to find success in the college football playoffs, especially when it, the the field gets shrunk to the top four teams mm. in all of college football, you have to be able to do both. You have to be able to stop the, you know, stop the best guy on the other team. But also when you get the ball, just put up points at, at, at a high clip. And, you know, it sounds cliche. Obviously, the team that scores the most points wins. But, you know, and when the margin of forever is so slim, you have to be able to put up points almost every single time you get the ball because, you know, playing a team like, you know, Clemson with one of the best defensive lines in the country, playing a team like Alabama, which will suffocate you, you never know when that opportunity to get those points is going to come up, uh, around again. So uh, definitely just being able to, to find a balance in terms of time of possession and and, and just attacking when, when you have those opportunities. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, you talk about it definitely as far as time of possession. Um, it's extremely difficult when your defense is out there for eight, nine minutes at a time because, you know, you have teams like Alabama and Clemson when you get to the college football playoff time. Even Oklahoma, you know, they're so systematic with how they score, right? And they just continuously just suck the life out of games as far as, you know, running clock, chewing the clock, yeah. and scoring. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things now that we're going to just have to see the progression, right? Some of the best athletes that we have are able to adjust. So now I'm interested to see, you know, how the Pac-12 is going to adjust, you know, when it comes down to playoff time. And, you know, you have an Alabama team that might be bigger than you or you have a Clemson team that might be just as fast as you. So um, I think that this could be the year that Pac-12 does make the breakthrough, man. Um, yeah, and definitely do. And one of, you know, my biggest things, obviously being an Oregon guy, you know, um, our coach, Mario Cristobal, he's actually a, a descendant of, of Nick Saban's coaching mm. tree. So, uh, you know, a good stat that, that I love about this Oregon football team, I think the average lineman is around like 6'6 and weighs like 300 plus pounds. <sighs> So depth, yeah, so you, so you got guys that that are are big, and, and you know you're not gonna be able to push them over. And last year, you know, our two returning running backs, um, C.J. Verdell rushed for about 1,100 yards, and then uh, Travis Dye, he was a true freshman last year, uh, rushed for about 800 yards. Mm. So you got two guys basically that that ran for a uh, thousand yards almost, and and you know just a, a lot of talent coming back, and and that's why I feel you know. This is, like you said, one of the, the years that the Pac-12 might have a, a chance to make a breakthrough. For sure, man. And, you know, now that we've talked about the college football playoff, right, and, you know, kind of some of our interpretations of how the field has been, um, you, we got to kind of talk about an off-field issue that I think is um, very sensitive. Um, I, we had a situation with my sister um, when she was trying to transfer out of Belmont Abbey. And it was just a difficult thing. You know, my mom, we all know what's going on with my mom and, you know, the different physical things that were going on in her life and, you know, the hardship rule as far as transferring. And my sister had to apply about three times before she was able to get that, you know, acceptance to get a transfer. And, you know, I kind of am interested to see, you know, what is your take on how the NCAA transfer rule is? And can you maybe tell a little bit of the about what is happening so far? So I think that this is a, a, a great question, especially because of what's happened, what well, is happening right now, actually with your Virginia Tech Hokies. Um, mm -hmm. One of the offensive linemen transferred from Coastal Carolina, if I'm not mistaken, uh, mm -hmm. over to Virginia Tech to be closer to home. And the NCAA denied his, his uh, hardship waiver, so no uh, immediate eligibility. So he has to sit out a season. 
And it's 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 so funny how it happens because, you know, his mom, I think she had a, a brain tumor. She's you know, she had a brain tumor removed and the NCAA actually had the nerve to ask, you know, oh, well, your mom is getting better or why was she still working if she was sick? And the family w just responded like, you know, medical bills are expensive. You know, she's she was just a teacher. So they had to find a way to, to cover those those medical costs. And basically the NCAA used all of those things against them and, and said, you know, she's getting better now. You know, there's no hardship. She'll, she'll be fine. And the final nail in that coffin was that apparently they have a hundred mile radius mm -hmm. for a hardship waiver. And uh, Virginia Tech is like five miles outside of that hundred mile radius. So they denied the the claim as well because they said that he was outside of of that that um, hundred mile radius. So, it's 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 so the NCAA is so fickle with these things. They gave you know a guy like Justin Fields a hardship uh, waiver to to transfer from Georgia to Ohio State because you know he didn't feel comfortable at Georgia for whatever reason. And you know a guy like Tate Martell that goes from you know, Ohio State not to Miami, same thing gets granted immediate immediate eligibility and Jalen Hurts who went from Alabama to now Oklahoma yeah. just because he wasn't getting playing time. It's like how can you accept that transfer? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to someone who's having a family issue, we can't grant that guy a transfer? I mean, what is up with that, and, Lou? And I think that one of the things that you know, the NCAA probably will never admit it, but I feel that they look out for, you know, their top programs. Um, especially, you know, the quarterback position, which, you know, can make or break a lot of college programs, especially when you have big names, you know, guys like Tate Martell, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, they were, you know, big time recruits and also just big time, you know, names just coming into college, this college football season. So, you know, the, the offensive lineman position isn't sexy, right? Like it's people not. don't, people don't <laughs> know offensive lineman names, but they know, uh, quarterback names. So I definitely think the, the NCAA has a way in which they favor, uh, those positions, especially the quarterback, and they look out again, like I said, for these programs that just to make sure that you know their brand and and their names don't don't fall off. So, it, it's definitely you know disappointing, uh, being a fan of the sport. You know, I, I want to see it. I want to see equity all around. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just unfair how these these coaches can just go from team to team. They got a new contract and they just they just leave it and they face no repercussions. But, you know, the students that they recruited, they just have to stick it out. Right. That's basically what they tell them. So um, I definitely think at some point it's going to reach like a, um, a boiling point and it's going to just become too much with the transfer portal. And, you know, there's going to have to be a better way in which students can control their own destiny in, uh, in college sports. And I mean, just looking as far as my experience, I mean, you talk about me, I, I have someone that transferred twice in college. Right. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I struggled with, you know, was obviously was, you know, meeting new people and, you know, trying to, you know, gain or try and get back into that new culture every single time. And, you know, when I transferred to York College at first, I hated it because, you know, I just didn't like the location. But, you know, the thing that helped me and the thing that, you know, got me past that was just knowing that I could play basketball, even though I only played for two years. I mean, you know, those two years were, were, were awesome to me, you know, and I think that when, when we talk about transferring, um, to penalize someone for transferring and, you know, taking away from them something that they really enjoy and then also that they can find security and comfort in. 
as a, it's just really giving you know these college students an extreme disservice man um i know everything you know pertains to money and you know we have to do things as far as you know just to keep the balance of things but you know i just don't find balance where you can allow you know quarterbacks to just change and transfer just because they're not getting playing time but when you have an actual family hardship somewhere where he wanted to be closer to his family to be a better son and you're denying him the chance to play to get his mind off the things at home. And I just think that's completely ridiculous, bro. Yeah, and it definitely puts, you know, a strain on these athletes because, you know, how we spoke about kids that go from Jersey to all these other programs. And, and, and it really makes you consider what, you know, your options are and your possibilities because you, you don't know something that might happen to, you know, one or two years down the road. Mm-hmm. And then to think that. You know, now you might have to sit out a year because, you know, whatever, something unexpected happens. It just isn't a, a, it's not fair to put that pressure, you know, on an 18, 17 year old kid when they're making, you know, these, these decisions that will alter their lives forever. For sure, man. And, you know, I definitely think that we've covered so much college football here. Um, Everybody that said that they, you know, want a new episode or, you know, they're looking forward to some new stuff. I mean, you got a lot of content on this episode, man. We've had some excellent questions, you know, some real in-depth conversations. But before we close out your segment, Lou, I want to hear a couple predictions here, all right? Oh, man. So we're, we're going we're gonna, to ask you some predictions, right? A lot of people are saying, obviously, Clemson is the clear overall number one seed. Um, you know, I think this is the first time where they're actually coming in as AP number one. Um, everybody wants to see Alabama Clemson for the fourth time. My prediction to you is, will it happen for a fourth time this year? You know, it's, it's interesting because I think Clemson has what it takes. Um, Trevor Lawrence did an amazing job last year as a true freshman. My biggest thing with Alabama is I feel like they just wore out last mm. season right um one of the the most interesting things to me with the sec is that they just kind of you know just kill each other off in a sense mm-hmm. you know that that grind of a sec schedule is so Brutal. tough Brutal. that by the time you get to you know the college football playoffs or just bowl season in general these teams are so beat up you know i think uh tua uh the quarterback for alabama he had like rolled his ankle like two or three times before they got to that last game yeah. and it's just you know, they end up beating each other down so much. So do I think it can happen? I definitely believe that, you know, there's there's a great possibility. But, you know, the, the SEC just has a way in which every year they, they do each other in, right? The Iron Bowl is always a, a big thing in, um, when Alabama plays Auburn because, you know, sometimes that game determines who wins, I think, is the SEC West. Yeah, that's a big game. Every year it comes down to that game. And, you know, first Alabama has to get through a team like uh, Auburn and then – then you come to the SEC championship game and you're facing a team like Georgia, which every year is is knocking at the door as well. So, you know, I don't want to see it. Uh, honestly, I, I would love to see some new guys up there. I definitely would love to see my Oregon Ducks up there. But, you know, it's, it's definitely going to be uh, interesting. But for sure, Clemson is a lock, at, at least for me, to be in the college football playoffs. And I definitely agree with you there. Um, I think that Clemson is a lock. I mean, overall, they're the best team. I mean, you got the best quarterback in college football in Trevor Lawrence. I mean, shown what he can do. You have a defense that is constantly living in the backfield. So, you know, I think that they overall have the best chance. 
Um, I definitely think that Alabama does not have the easiest road to getting there. Um, you have LSU, who's very strong this year. I mm-hmm. think they have a strong defensive program. I mean, offense is always a little shaky, but you know they really rely on that defense. And I feel like you know if they can get you know enough home cut, you know home playoff game. Well, not home playoff games, but if they can take advantage of that home field, which they've done in the past. I think that they can vault them and get them in a position to where they can maybe upset Alabama. And I've said it before, I'm really big on Florida this year. I've never been one to be big on Florida, but I'm starting to believe in the hype. Um, I saw that game against Miami. They had several times where they should have lost that game, but they showed the pedigree of, you know, a champion and just trying to fight back. So, you know, I think those two teams in the SEC are going to be the biggest reasons as to why Alabama might not make it. Yeah, and it's funny you bring up Florida. I'm not a believer in Florida Mm -hmm. uh, by any chance. Um, Felipe Franks, I think that's the name of their quarterback. Yeah, yeah Felipe Franks. Not not a believer in in him either. Uh, I honestly think Miami threw that game away. Yeah. Um, they had multiple chances to kind of put four it away. Pass interference call. Three yeah. Or four of them. And I think Florida is always there. They're very close. Um, you know, they had they had a lot of of you know off the field stuff going on th- this season. Um, and I just I don't see it with Florida. Mm. Um, I think Georgia still takes the SEC East. And Alabama probably comes out of that SEC West, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's there's a lot of good teams, a lot of great talent coming up. So it's definitely gonna be fun to watch how how that unfolds. For sure, man. So we're gonna get into our rapid fire prediction round. So right, real quick, I'm just gonna I'm gonna tell you a, a matchup. So these are I picked three matchups from uh, this week. And I just wanted you to tell me which team, right off the rip, which one you think is going to win. All right, let's do it. So this game we actually have on right now, UCLA versus Cincinnati. Who you got? Uh, I'm not looking at the score, so I I don't know what's going on in the game right now, but Cincinnati. Okay. Uh, Cincinnati won 11 games last season. Mm. Um, they have a coach that you know is, is real big on momentum. So I think Cincinnati has a great chance. And they're playing UCLA. You know, went three and nine last year. Chip Kelly in his first year, coming into his second year, and I just think Chip Kelly's system is outdated. You know, I think Chip Kelly, you know, he introduced something that was new to football, and he's just trying to, you know, go on with something that is just everybody caught up to it. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's running a style of, of you know, the spread or, or RPO. RPO or just the air raid offense. And I think he has to reinvent himself to find a success in college football now. Yeah. Again, which is interesting to say because when he was in Oregon, he was winning 10-plus games a season. But, yeah, I just don't see how long Chip Kelly's going to last at UCLA. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations where, you know, it's the snowball effect. You know, how far does the snowball roll, you know? Definitely. Um, I think this should be an easy one, all right? Georgia Tech versus Clemson. I mean, I think Clemson <laughs> is favored by, like, 30-something points. Yeah. Um, But even with saying that, I, I like Georgia Tech, right? They run, like, that triple option uh, offense. Georgia Tech is, is always a scrappy team. Um, they always find a way to make things interesting. Cle- it's Clemson, um, mm-hmm. and I think Clemson is going to have a, a easy road this year. I don't, I don't see a lot of contenders out of the ACC. Sorry, you know, with, with Virginia Tech, <laughs> Come but on, man. it's Bud Foster's last year. Come on, but man. yeah, I, I, you know, there's a lot of ACC teams right now that are just down on their luck. You know, the Louisville's of the world, North Carolinas. Um, it's just Duke. Duke. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Clemson runs away with that and just runs away with the ACC as well. So I'm going to say this, right? I agree with you. I think Clemson wins this game. 
But if you have a chance, take the points with Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is always a team that, that fights. Uh, they have a great defense, and they put points on the board. They are not scared of anybody, and that's what I've experienced in the past couple years. So Clemson wins this game, but if I had a bet you know, to put in, I'm going to take the points with uh, Georgia Tech. I don't think that they're going to beat them by 37. Yeah, especially yeah. with a spread that high. Sometimes you yeah. just take take your chances, right, bet against the spread. Roll the dice. <laughs> but, yeah, 35-point spread I think is it's a little uh, wild. Yeah. And then finally, we were talking about this. Utah versus BYU, who you got? It's funny because that's the last thing I saw on TV before we, you know, we, we started up the pod today. Um, a lot of teams, oh, a lot of the, the experts are picking BYU mm. over Utah. And BYU, again, another very scrappy team. Um, they make it interesting. But, you know, I think that this is the year that the Pac-12 has a lot to lose. Um, so I think, you know, there's there's no there no margin to, to lose games like this. I think Utah comes out, comes out hot. And, 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 you know, they take it and decisively as well, I would say, even as good as BYU is. But I like Utah. Like, you know, they were one of my, my teams that I think could, could really contend with Oregon this year. So um, I'm going to go ahead and confidently say that, that Utah wins tonight. And I, I, this was a tough one for me because I really like BYU. I think that they do special things when they play at home. Um, you know, it's really a toss-up for me. I, I want to go Utah. But part of me is just saying, go BYU. Just do it. So, you know, I, I'm going to go BYU. As much as I want to go Utah, I think that BYU does special things when they play at home. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to go with BYU on that one. We'll and, see. and if you don't mind, I would like to make one last prediction. Okay, what's up? Um, We got the first game of the week. Okay. Oregon versus Auburn, 11. Ooh. 11 versus 16. Um, and the best game of the week. How did I forget that one? Game day, right? Uh, so it's funny because Oregon has had road troubles in the past. We're playing at a neutral site. Oregon does travel uh, very well, the Oregon fans. So shout out to all the Duck fans out there, especially the ones traveling down to Dallas. But I got to take my Ducks, man. I think, you know, we're a three and a half point underdog right now, mm -hmm. even though, you know, we're ranked 11 and Auburn is 16th. But it's going to be a very fun matchup uh Oregon has probably one of the best offensive lines in the country mm -hmm. I didn't say it you know that's that's what a lot of the that's experts are saying <laughs> um we're returning a lot of talent on both sides of the ball I mean you have a guy like Justin Herbert that you know bypassed the the NFL draft when he probably could have been a top three pick to come back to Oregon and you know that that gives me a lot of confidence but then you on the other side of the ball you have you know Auburn one of the best defensive lines in the country. So I think it's going to be a battle in the trenches, right? How, how I told you that 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 little fact about Oregon's uh, offensive linemen, how big they are, and and I think it's just going to be a battle. But I definitely would take and am going to take uh, Oregon to win this game, especially um, just the last thing. Auburn is throwing in a true freshman out there at quarterback. So, mm -hmm. you know, on, on a stage like that, it, it's tough, you know, to show up for your first game. So... Yeah, I'm definitely going to go ahead and say Oregon takes game day Saturday at 730. You know, as much as I want to go Auburn, I think that Auburn's a really tough team. They run the ball very good. It was Gus Malzone always has that team playing tough, competitive football. But like I said, I think this is the year that Oregon just, you know, stands and makes a stand and say, you know, we are a team from out west that you need to put on the national stage. So, you know, I'm going to go with Oregon on that one. I'm going to go with you on that one. And, you know, with that final prediction, you know, it closes out 
um, our you know portion here at Talk That Talk Show. Um, I definitely want to give a huge, huge shout out to Lou here. Um, we had a great college football segment. Um, we got over an hour's worth of stuff for you here. Um, I just, I'm just really happy with everything. Um, I think, you know, as far as the college football scale that we have out here, it's going to be an exciting season. Um, everybody that's tuned into this show looking forward to this college football special. Um, you can definitely, definitely look forward to some more college football coverage throughout the, the year for this season and for seasons to come. So I definitely want to thank you, Lou, for coming here on the show. I'm definitely going to have to have you on here another time. Uh, of course, anytime. Maybe for, you know, Heisman or, and bowl season, we can get another one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, this is also a fa our fantasy football commissioner. We're both commissioners of our own fantasy football leagues. So I got to, you know, I got to... I got to get better this year in your league, man. <laughs> I won the year the league two years ago, but, you know, I'm coming for retribution. Uh, Ken took me out. I think he took me out the playoffs last year. Um, we got a real competitive league. Definitely. Um, so I'm definitely ready for it. Um, I'm, I'm so happy that you were able to come on this show, brother. And, you know, until the next time, man, it was just, it was just awesome, man. It, I'm at a loss for words, you know. I'm and you know, we're getting, we have to get that celebratory beer after this, too. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. My, I can't wait. And, you know, so we can do that, let's close out and thank our sponsors. And we want to send a special shout-out to Executive Bar and Restaurant located in 30 Menu Street, Carteret, New Jersey. Also want to give a shout-out to VW Liquors located in Wick Plaza. You know what we do? Yeah, let's do it. All right. <laughs> let's go, Mets! Let's go, Mets! We always do that for Dave at the end of the show. And then finally, we want to give a special shout-out to our boy Cody Bromley and 91s.com. And that closes out our 25th show. We have done 25 episodes of the Talk That Talk show. We've had three guests. Oh, man, what's next? Guess you're going to have to find out next week. I'm Barry Holmes of... Uh, Pierce, not Pierce Sports. I'm Barry Holmes with the Talk That Talk Show. Guess we're going to have to edit that one out. Shout out to Lou uh, for coming out on the show. Thank you for having me. Tune in next week. My name's Barry Holmes, and I'm out of here. All right? Mic drop. Boom. <laughs>